Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Ecclesiastes, the fifth chapter, reading verses 18 through 20. Let's give careful attention to the public reading of God's word. This is what I have observed to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word to each of our hearts this morning. Let's pray. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by your word, your word which is truth, and who has called us to engage in the study of that word. We pray that you would sweeten your word in our hearts and in our lives together this morning, that we might grow in our knowledge of you and ourselves and the world that you have made that we might more enjoy the calling that you have given to us and that we might honor you more along the path of life. Praying in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, be seated, please. I, uh, I wonder if we were to ask a, a, a question on a survey for folks who know something about the Old Testament, what book in the Old Testament would you turn to if you wanted to find instruction for experiencing joy and satisfaction in life? My guess is that quite a few people would probably say uh, none. You know, that's all that old law, sacrifice, uh, heavy war kind of stuff. Uh, I doubt that many people at all would say, oh, that's obvious, it's the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, we're in a short three-part series on the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, you'll remember, fits into the books in the Old Testament that we call the wisdom books. The lead book is Proverbs, and it teaches us the basics of wisdom. You could kind of summarize Proverbs uh, in terms of uh, a book that teaches us the general truths about walking the path of life. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on, on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He'll make your path straight. Proverbs isn't much concerned with all the exceptions to the rules, that sort of thing. It's just laying down the basic teaching of wisdom that if you trust the Lord... He's going to make your path straight. Well, I'll bet you do trust the Lord, and I'll bet sometimes your path seems more like a maze than a straight line. And some say that's the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, some say that there was a fellow who said, I read Proverbs, I got the message, I tried it, it didn't work, I'm going to write another book, Ecclesiastes. Well, that's a little bit of an overstatement, but... Ecclesiastes does nuance the teaching of Proverbs. It's kind of like um, Proverbs is uh, ninth grade biology, and then you go to college and you study biology, and you find out it wasn't quite as simple as your ninth grade biology teacher said it was. It's not that your teacher was wrong, it's just that there's a lot more to it than that. 
And so life is at times much more like a maze than a straight path. And God's given us the book of Ecclesiastes to teach us about that. Now, when we think of Ecclesiastes, what immediately comes to mind, if we know the book at all, is vanity of vanities, everything is vanity. And that was our first lesson. That's kind of the overarching dominant theme in the book. And we saw how that meant that there are times when life is just flat out perplexing. It's very crooked, the path is. And we're not sure why. And it's very frustrating at times. Vanity of vanities. Life can be very frustrating. Life can be very perplexing. And the author of Ecclesiastes wants us to embrace that. Not pretend that life is something different than it is at times. It's okay as Christians to say, man, I just don't understand what God is doing. It's okay to be frustrated in life. It's part of the path of life. Vanity of vanities, everything is vanity. But we would be amiss if we stopped there and thought that that's all the book of Ecclesiastes teaches. Uh, There's another theme that we're going to look at this week, and that's the theme of finding joy and satisfaction in life. And it's not a minor theme. Read the book of Ecclesiastes and you see this theme coming up again and again and again. In fact, as I read Ecclesiastes, it's one of the three dominant themes in the book. Finding joy and satisfaction in life. Uh, Now about this theme, I just want to say two things this morning. And the first is, uh, you can find joy and satisfaction in life. That's what the book of Ecclesiastes teaches. Now, Kohelet, um, I'm going to refer to the fellow who wrote the central section of the book as Kohelet. Um, Some translations call him the preacher, some translations call him the teacher, Uh, but in the book of Ecclesiastes, almost all the time, Kohelet is really the guy's name. Now, David means beloved, and Solomon means peace. But we don't refer to peace and beloved because that's what their name means. We call them by their name, David and Solomon. And Kohelet means gatherer because he gathered wise sayings and he gathered people so that he could teach them the wise sayings. But it's his name, Kohelet. And uh, so we're just going to refer to him as Kohelet. Now, there are actually two people that wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. Kohelet wrote the central section. And if you read it, starting in, I think, verse 12, it's I, Kohelet. I looked for this. I thought about this. I did that. I'm advising you this. But at the beginning and at the end, it's he, Kohelet, he taught. Kohelet, he thought. So there's this central writing by Kohelet, and a dad actually sat down and read that book with his son, And then at the end said, let's just uh, reflect on this a little bit. There's some stuff I want to add to it. Uh, But we're going to be looking at that central section this morning. We're going to be looking at this one key teaching of Kohelet. Uh, You can find joy and satisfaction in life. Kohelet does two things. He commends two things to you in the book. One thing that he commends is the experience of enjoyment in life. There are good times. Who remembers the birds? I mean, not, be, not, not the Alfred Hitchcock thing, the, the musical group. And they made very popular what song? Turn, turn, turn. 
So turn with me to um, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 1. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. Now I'm only going to read part of this text because I want to make an impression on you. The point that I want to make is simply that the reason why Kohelet commends the enjoyment of life is because the fact is there are good times in life. There are, there's a time to be born. There's a time to plant. There's a time to heal. There's a time to build. There's a time to laugh. There's a time to dance. There's a time to gather. There's a time to embrace. There's a time to search. There's a time to keep. There's a time to mend. There's a time to speak. There's a time to love. There's a time for peace. There are all kinds of good times in life. And Kohelet commends embracing those good times. Not only does he want us to embrace the frustrating and the perplexing, but he also flips that coin over and he wants us to embrace those good times in life. One of my favorite texts in Ecclesiastes is chapter 7 and verse 14. And it simply starts by saying, when times are good. When times are good. There are good times. How many of you have ever been perplexed in life? How many of you have ever been frustrated in life? How many of you have ever had some good times in life? There are plenty of good times in life. Now the text goes on to say, when times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider. God has made the one as well as the other. See, I grew up kind of thinking, when times are good, be happy. When times are bad, the devil did those. But as we have sung, whatever adversity, uh, and as we have prayed, whatever adversity God brings into our lives, he is able to turn that for good in one way or another, even though there are times when we, in the moment, can't figure that out. Kohelet commends the enjoyment of life. There are good times. Embrace them without feeling guilty about experiencing them. They are good gifts from God. There's also joy in work. Chapter 3 and verse 22. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 22. So I saw that there is nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work, for that is their lot. Somebody once said, find something that you love, and you'll never work a day in your life. Now, some folk find that their work, whatever that might be, their work is really the the perplexing and frustrating part of life. Now, I doubt that there's anybody who has a job that doesn't have some level of perplexity and some level of frustration in work. It just seems to go with the terrain. But some people find that their work is maybe the largest source of the perplexing and the frustrating. Uh, They dread Sunday night because it means Monday morning. On the other hand, there are people who just love their job. It's a source of great delight, a source of joy. What the author of Ecclesiastes is commending is the fact that to the extent possible, 
even in our work, even in the ordinary things of life, we ought to be able to find joy and satisfaction uh, to experience that enjoyment of life in the ordinary. Martin Luther, I read this uh, in the mornings, I read this short devotional, uh, just collected sayings of Martin Luther, one one, uh, quotation, one page uh, a day. And he was actually commenting at one point on Ecclesiastes 7.14, and he said, when you are given a good day, here's what you should do. Be happy. Pretty simple, right? Uh, but But also very profound. When you are given a good day, when you're not perplexed, when you're not frustrated, Don't take it for granted. Stop. Enjoy it. Smell the roses. Luther goes on to say, in other words, enjoy the present. Luther, like the author of uh, Ecclesiastes, like Kohelet, commends the enjoyment of life. Uh, My mother, when I was first a a pastor, uh, knowing her son, sent me a copy of a small book called um, How to relax without feeling guilty. Uh, I I probably need to reread that book at times. But somebody ought to write another book for Christians. How to enjoy life without feeling guilty. As Kohelet says repeatedly, when you can find joy in life, embrace it. This is a gift of God. But Kohelet not only commends the enjoyment of life, he also commends satisfaction in life. Now, one of the metaphors that runs through the book is the metaphor of eating and drinking. Look at chapter 2.24. Ecclesiastes 2.24. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God, for without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? Now, this is a natural metaphor, isn't it? We all know, the, um, we all know what it's like to be hungry, yes? We all know what it's like to be really thirsty. And we all know what it's like when you're really hungry or when you're really thirsty to then be sated. To sit down to your favorite meal if you're hungry. To have your favorite beverage if you're thirsty. You just know that deep sense of satisfaction that comes when your hunger has been met, when your thirst has been quenched. No wonder when Kohelet wants to give a metaphor that runs through the book repeatedly of satisfaction, he gives the metaphor of eating and drinking. Had he been an American, he probably would have used something like Thanksgiving. Uh, that good, deep feeling after that wonderful Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, there are other texts uh, we could look at. We won't take the time. Kohelet says, eat and drink. There's nothing better than to eat and to drink and to find satisfaction in life. Now, depends on your translation. I'm using the NIV, and it says a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction. 
Some of your translations might say to eat and drink and find enjoyment. Well, those are two pretty different things. Neither of them are a literal translation of what the text says. The text says nothing better than to eat and drink and to see good. To see good. But the uh, ESV translators and the NIV translators, uh, they're aware of the fact that to see good doesn't mean much to us, so they're trying to interpret it for us, and ESV goes one direction and NIV goes another one. Now, there are a few uh, technicalities in the Hebrew text at this point with regard to this expression, uh, to see good. And while I, I love Hebrew more than anything else, I'm going to spare you of all those Hebrew grammatical technicalities at this point. I'm just going to say that in my humble estimation, the NIV is right on target. Uh, there's a word for finding joy in the book of Ecclesiastes, and it's used repeatedly. And Kohelet could have used that if he wanted to say nothing better than to eat and drink and find joy. But he says eat and drink and find to see good. And, and to see good is... Is, is part of what it means to eat and drink and to experience that satisfaction when our hunger has been uh, met, our thirst has been quenched. The NIV is right in my estimation that this really is talking about satisfaction, that Kohelet is commending to us satisfaction in seeing good. Now, notice what Kohelet's doing here. He's saying that, uh, that we should enjoy life He's saying that we should find satisfaction in life. Joy and satisfaction are good gifts of God. We've got to go back and pick up a point that I mentioned just briefly the last time I spoke on vanity of vanities. What's the next word? All is vanity. And uh, you may recall, if you have like a photographic memory, that I said that when the book of Ecclesiastes says vanity of vanities, everything is vanity, that it was using a particular figure of speech, which is what? Starts with an H. Hyperbole. And you remember that I said we've got to be careful about talking about hyperbole in the Bible because your mother's all told you not to do what that starts with an E? Exaggerate, because exaggerating is... No. Exaggerating starts with an L. Exaggerating is lying. See, your mother said don't exaggerate because exaggerating is lying. Hyperbole is exaggeration. So if I say there's hyperbole in the Bible, you might misunderstand to think that I'm saying there are lies in the Bible, but that's not the case. Your mother didn't want you to exaggerate for the purpose of deceiving. Hyperbole is exaggeration for a different purpose altogether. It's exaggerating to make your point with some power, like... It took forever to get home last night. Uh, we use hyperbole all the time. Um, hyperbole is a very common figure of speech. It's kind of like putting something in bold italics, underscoring it, and changing the color of the font. Um, and so when the author says vanity of vanities, everything is vanity, he does not mean that everything in life is perplexing and everything in life is frustrating. He can't mean that. One of the reasons why he can't mean that is based on your experience. Is everything in your life frustrating? Is everything in your life perplexing? No, it is not. 
But he also can't mean that because he commends to us, for one thing, experiencing satisfaction. And if satisfaction is anything, it's the opposite of what? Starts with an F, and it's not futato. Frustration. Frustration is having a goal and being blocked. You can't get there. Satisfaction is having a goal and getting there. They're the exact opposite. So if the author is commending to you the experience of joy and satisfaction, vanity of vanities, everything is vanity, must be hyperbole. But to say it's hyperbole is only the first step. The second step is to ask the question, well, why is he using hyperbole? Because he wants us to embrace the fact that life can be frustrating and it can be meaningless. He doesn't want us to have to pretend that everything is joyful, everything is satisfying. He, doesn't, he wants us to be authentic Christians, authentic humans who experience all of life as it truly is. Just don't be misled down a dark path that you've got to find something perplexing and frustrating in every experience in life. When it's there, we have to embrace it. But it's not the only part of life. There's another side to that coin, and that side is called joy and satisfaction. You can find joy and satisfaction in life when you are given a good day. Here's what you should do. Be happy. It's just that simple. Embrace it as a wonderful gift from God. Now, I, I, will, I mentioned to the elders that we married off our second son uh, about a month ago, a little bit over a month ago. And um, that was about, I'm just being honest with you, that was about the most fun, fun week I think I've ever had. Family came in early from my side. Uh, family and friends came in early from my wife's side. Uh, family that doesn't get together very much. We were, we, especially the guys, uh, we were out Monday night. The wedding was Saturday night. We were out Monday night through Saturday night, every night. And I, I don't think I got home, like if I got home at 1, that was early. And now I go to bed at 10 o'clock. Um, and uh, we just flat out, what a, what a wonderful week it was. Not just a wedding day. And a part of, but my, my, my first son got married last summer. That was a, a remarkable week. But that was in Southern California. And so while it used to be home, it was no longer home. This was home. And uh, man, I just tell you, I look back at that week and what a memory it was. We just embraced the whole week. Um, oh, it was hot. You got that, you know, that's part of the frustrating, meaningless side of living in central Florida in the summer. But just what a wonderful, wonderful, happy time we had. And, uh, you know, we, we lived it to the hilt. The, the old beer commercial had it. Go for the gusto. Um, that's what Ecclesiastes is saying. Young people, let me, let me say this to you. This is a little bit off the subject, but 
not too far. I, I just thought about this because we don't often think about this with our, with our young people. But if we go to the 11th chapter of Ecclesiastes in verse 9, um, it says, You who are young, be happy while you're young. Now, that reminds me of my father who passed away two years ago with Alzheimer's. And I, I, just remind, I just remember my dad saying, man, Mark, these golden years aren't quite as golden as what I thought the golden years were going to be. Uh, and if my father said anything to me in the last years of his life, he said, enjoy life, number one. Make memories with your family, number two. Do it while you can, because the time is coming when you won't be able to any longer. And so Kohelet says, you who are young, be happy. Don't worry. Be happy. And let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth without feeling guilty about it. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. Now, when do we tell that to our kids? Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. You have, as young people, the opportunity to live life with a gusto that you'll not always have the ability to do because this R word comes along before you know it. Responsibility. Now, I know you have some now, but trust me, you got a lot more coming than you could ever imagine. And before that time in life comes when you are just at times overwhelmed with responsibility, what does it say? Listen, follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. Live life with gusto. Enjoy it. Find satisfaction in it. Now, now parents, i got to add the next part. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. See, God, God does say there is, a, there is a fence around the yard. And because there's a fence, stay inside the yard and you can have a blast. Just don't go on the other side of the fence because that's a lot of trouble on the other side of the fence. Trust me, when I was the age of some of you young people, I was way on the other side of the fence and that was deep, deep trouble. But inside the fence of God's instruction, live life with gusto. Uh, while you're young and you're able, and of course, I'm about to turn 60, I still put myself in that young category. So I'm really preaching to the preacher uh, at this particular moment. Okay, so back to the text. The, the first thing that we've seen is that you can find joy and satisfaction in life. Embrace it when God gives it to you. Now, related to that, but a little bit more profound, is this. This is the second point. You can find joy and satisfaction under the sun. Now, remember, under the sun means in this world as it has been adversely affected by our fall and the curse. That's under the sun. That's the sphere. Under the sun, you see, is the sphere of the perplexing. Under the sun is the sphere of the frustrating. 
And Ecclesiastes just doesn't say sometimes you can have joy and satisfaction and sometimes you can have the frustrating and the perplexing. More profound than that, he says, you can have a gift of God that in the frustrating and in the perplexing, you can still experience at times as a gift of God, great joy and great satisfaction. Let's just look at a, 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 at a, well, let's look at one text. Ecclesiastes 9, 7 to 9. Ecclesiastes 9, starting in verse 7. Go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved what you do. Oh, that's a good one. Huh? Presbyterians need a dose of that one. Eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved what you do. When we are really enjoying life, isn't it the case that often we have this sense of guilt? It shouldn't be. After all, other people don't have what we have right now. And, and, and isn't it often the case that we view God as the great disapprover? But notice, eat your food with gladness, drink your wine with a joyful heart. God says it's okay. He approves of you finding joy and satisfaction in life. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love. Notice, all the days of this meaningless life. Enjoy in the middle of the meaningless. The meaningless life that God has given you under the sun all your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. You see, Kohelet says not just that Sometimes you can have joy and satisfaction. Sometimes you experience the frustrating and perplexing. But under the sun, in the frustrating, in the perplexing, you can have a marvelous gift of God. And even there, you can find joy and satisfaction. Now, I will admit that probably some of my most frustrating experiences in life have to do with plumbing. Um, <laughs> My father was a cabinet maker, and for his retirement, since he was self-employed, he would buy a house, and then he would turn the house into two apartments, and he would rent it, and then when he got later on in years and needed some retirement money, he would sell a piece of property off. He'd have some income along the way, and then uh, some, uh, well, his plan was to have some profit from those properties, but unfortunately, it was in the Pittsburgh area along the small rivers where the steel industry left and the area never really recovered, but he did okay. Um, my brother, who did some calculation, my, the, my parents left us a, a little bit of inheritance and um, my brother said that he'll leave his kids more inheritance than my dad left him, but if you look at my dad's income and compare the percentage that he left us as kids compared to what he made in his uh, small cabinet shop outside of Pittsburgh. Uh, th- my parents did very well 
um, by their kids. Remember, a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. So if you have the bumper sticker on the back of your RV saying, I'm spending my kid's inheritance, take it off. Uh, a, good man, a good man plans on passing inheritance down to future generations. Um, okay, little moment here, thinking of my parents passing. So where were we here? Um, where were we? Oh, we were just looking at those texts, yes. Um, you can, uh, plumbing, the, the point of my dad's house is, my dad taught me all the trades, except electricity. He said, if you make a mistake plumbing, you get wet. If you make a mistake with electricity, he never taught me electrical work. Um, but uh, I, I can tell you frustrating stories about plumbing. Okay, I'm a pastor, Orthodox Presbyterian Church outside of Washington, D.C. We're living in a row home, and the row home has no spigot. Uh, in the front, uh, out basement, copper's all exposed. I drill a hole through. I put the pipe through. I connect the spigot. Um, it's just about dinner on Saturday night. I have a very small leak in one of the fittings. I'm going to eat dinner, take care of the leak afterward. Uh, and so uh, after dinner, I go to take care of the leak and I have to turn the water off. This is in an old row home. I go to turn the water off at my valve and the valve breaks. So then now it's like closing in on midnight and we have to have the city come out to turn the water off at the main. Um, and you know, if you lived up east, the curb cock is at least three feet underground because you've got to get below frost line so the water lines don't freeze. So the city comes out to turn the water off out at the main. And uh, they break that valve. It's now two in the morning. This is a traditional row neighborhood, you know, just rows of homes right across. This. And uh, so Monday's a holiday. And they say, well, we can come back Tuesday. I say, I can't be until Tuesday without water. And uh, so uh, they say, okay, now the problem was our curb cock was not in that little lawn in between the curb. It was in the sidewalk, which meant jackhammers. It's now like 2.30 in the morning. All the lights in the neighborhood are going on uh, as the city's out there jackhammering. Our... Hey, this is only one of multiple plumbing stories that I could tell you. But just one more short one. When we moved to California, we bought a fixer-upper. And um, the, the, I had to, it was just a simple job. I was just going to put new, new fittings on the shower in the master bedroom, right? That's easy. You just back off a couple of screws, and it's never that easy. I, I was about six hours. Got into major I mean, that was about the most frustrating plumbing I have ever done. But bless his heart, my, my middle son, Evan, who just got married, he at that time was probably about five. And he was with me as my helper for that entire five hours. Do you need a screwdriver, Dad? Do you need a wrench, Dad? In the middle of what was... Intensely frustrating. I have such delightful memories. You see, it's not either joyful. 
How many of you have ever been to a funeral? Aren't funerals weird? The mixture of emotion in a funeral. You're seeing family and friends and you're reminiscing and you're eating good food. Funerals are just fun. But they're also very sad and very dark. And especially the closer you are, your emotions are like this. But that's Ecclesiastes and that's life. If we have the eyes of faith and we have the gift of God, even in the middle of the frustrating and the perplexing, we can still find joy and satisfaction. (laughs) Joy and satisfaction, uh, just two brief things. One, they're they're a gift of a sovereign God. You can't take them for granted. They're a gift of a sovereign God. Ecclesiastes says joy and satisfaction come from the hand of God, and they're the gift of God. Let's go back to that text that we started with in 5.18. Ecclesiastes 5.18. I'm not going to read the part that I already read for our sermon text. I'll just summarize it for you by going to the end. Verse 19. If God gives you wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them. Did you notice that? If God gives you wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them uh, and to be happy, this is a gift of God. So starting in verse 18, Kohelet says, this is what I've observed Sometimes God gives people all the good stuff and the ability to enjoy them. But notice what he goes on to say in chapter 6, verse 1. I've seen another evil under the sun, and it weighs heavily on mankind. God gives some people wealth, possessions, and honor so that they lack nothing their hearts desire, but God does not grant them the ability to enjoy them. Now, we probably all know four different kinds of people. We know people who have very little, and they're miserable. We know people who have very little, and they're happy. We know people who have a lot, and they're miserable. We know people who have a lot, and they're very happy. Heaven is going to be a lot and happy. And Jesus said, pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that we might experience more of heaven now. You see, in the, in, at the end of five and the beginning of six, Kohelet contrasts two radically different things. God gives some stuff and the ability to enjoy it. God gives others stuff and not the ability to enjoy it. That's why if you have the ability to enjoy Anything in life, enjoy it and enjoy it with gratitude. It's a wonderful gift from God. See, not only is stuff a gift from God, but the ability to enjoy it is also a gift. Please don't take it for granted. Embrace it as a wonderful gift from God. Uh, why, Why were we? given that gift, as we sang in How Sweet and Awesome is the Place with Christ Within the Veil. It's by grace that we have this wonderful gift. And so if you have that gift to enjoy, remember, 
It's a gift from God. Uh, enjoy it and enjoy it with gratitude. I'm not one that typically quotes when I preach or when I teach, but I was reading a book and came across this that I want to read to you. He says that God is integral to Kohelet's understanding of enjoyment. God's character functions as a warrant in six of the seven recommendations for enjoyment. When, when Kohelet says enjoy, find satisfaction, he says because God. Since God gives goods and the opportunity to enjoy them, enjoyment is one of the primary ways in and through which one can experience God. How do you experience God? Well, there's an analogous verse that I think is helpful here. How can you say that you love God whom you have not seen? when you're not loving your neighbor whom you do see. In other words, the way in which you love God whom you can't see is by loving your neighbor whom you do see. One of the ways in which you enjoy God whom you can't see or feel or taste or smell is by enjoying the creation that God has made which you can see and feel and enjoy and smell. Uh, I, I really appreciate all the, the creation hymns that we sang this morning because they tie so well into this theme of enjoying life, the ordinary life. Psalm 104 uh, prays at the end, it's a creation hymn, and it prays that God would enjoy his creation. And then it prays that we would enjoy God. Well, if God enjoys his creation, what's one way that we enjoy God? By enjoying the creation that he has made. Take your bulletin this afternoon, if you have time, and go back through the prayers, go back through the hymns, and see how much of this experiencing God by experiencing his creation plays a role uh, in today's liturgy. Since God gives goods and the opportunity to enjoy them, enjoyment is one of the primary ways in and which we can experience God. Okay, I'll tell you a motorcycle story. And, and this is not hyperbole. The time in my life when I have most sensed, most profoundly experienced the presence of God was one Friday afternoon. Mark Jr. was in language school at, in Monterey, California, and I flew out on a Thursday to visit him because he was all, in school all day on Friday. I had the day free, and so I rented a motorcycle. And uh, uh, Monterey is just north of Big Sur. Has anybody ever ridden Big Sur in a car? My wife would, like, make me stay way on the inside. Um, palms sweating the whole way. Well, Big Sur is beautiful in a car. I'm sorry, it doesn't hold a candle to riding it on a motorcycle. I'm riding south, which means I'm on the outside lane. I come across this knoll, and the straight road, hill down, hill up, opens in front of me. This massive mountain meadow on my left. 
about three feet this way and a thousand feet down is the ocean. And when I came over that knoll, it is as if I entered the very presence of God. And that this is not exaggeration. Where have I most profoundly experienced God's presence? Well, as a preacher, I should probably say in some church service somewhere, right? But that's, that's not my experience. I'm just telling you. My experience of God most profoundly is in the tangible creation that he has made. He enjoys it. And when we enjoy it, we're not enjoying something other than God. See, we tend to go either or so many times in life when God invites us to go both and, which is why um, Ecclesiastes says food and wine Enjoy, and why he says enjoy God, enjoying God and enjoying food and wine are not two different things. If we have the spiritual view of the world that we need to realize that the rocks and the trees and each other, we are all good gifts to each other from God, and that when we enjoy the creation that he has made, we are enjoying the God who has made it. Now, this gift of God also comes to us through our own responsibility. We're not to be irresponsible. Ecclesiastes says the gift is for those who do good, and the gift is for those who please God. Oh, wait a second. Is it a, is it a sovereign gift of God, or does it come through our responsibility? Are we going to go either or, or are we going to go both and? I'm going to invite you to go both and. The experience of joy and satisfaction is a gift of a sovereign God, and it comes through responsible human action. And how sovereignty and responsibility all go together, I'll, I'll leave to Zach to explain it to you some Sunday night, but that's beyond me. That's one of those perplexing things in life. But Kohelet says it's a gift of God, sovereignly distributed. Kohelet says it's for those who do good. It's for those who please God. And as Calvin would tell us, this pleasing of God is an evangelical pleasing of God. Let me just close with two verses, one from the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 12, referring to Jesus. Uh, the author of Hebrews says, Who for the joy set before him endured the cross and scorned its shame. Uh, and the book of Isaiah, speaking of Jesus, says the results of his suffering he will see and he will be satisfied. Now, you may never have thought about this before, but when Jesus was here on earth doing everything that he was doing in his life, in his obedience, in his death, in everything that he was doing, he was doing all of that, among other things, to earn two things for himself. The father said to the son, if you do everything that I have uh, required you to do, at the end of that, you're going to have two experiences. You're going to experience joy and you're going to experience satisfaction. Hebrews chapter 2. He scorned who for the 
joy set before him by the Father, saying, do what you're supposed to do, and you will enter into infinite joy. Who for the joy set before him. Isaiah chapter 53, 11. The results of his suffering he'll see and he'll be satisfied. See, how can we expect to experience any joy and satisfaction in life? The wage of sin is, but the gift of God is life. A life of joy. How can you expect to experience joy and satisfaction when the wage of sin is death? It's because, among other things, Jesus has earned it for you. Now, we think of Jesus as earning forgiveness of sin. Is that true? Yes, that's true. But he's done much, much more than that. He's also earned joy and satisfaction for you. Why are you going to be perfectly joyful and perfectly satisfied in heaven? Is it because of righteous things that you have done? No, it's because Jesus has earned that for you. And he also said, pray now. Pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that when you have those experiences of joy and satisfaction, do you know what you're experiencing? It's called heaven. It's heaven on earth. Now, trust me, we're not going to have the fullness of heaven before the second coming of Christ. But we're going to have the reality of it. Real heaven, real joy, real satisfaction, even in, as one of the prayers or songs said, even in the middle of this sad world. What a balance. Isn't the Bible beautiful? What a balance. It doesn't give us a negative worldview that says vanity of vanities, everything is vanity, life is just miserable and all... It doesn't give us a Pollyannish worldview that just says, smile and be happy. Everything's good. Put blinders on your eyes. Be the ostrich. Put your head in the sand. It allows us to be authentic. The Bible invites us to an authentic life where when it's perplexing and frustrating, we embrace it and we know that that's not all there is. When it's joyful, when it's satisfying, we embrace it. And all as our grateful response to who God is and what he has done for us in Christ. Who's lived that perfect life of righteousness in our place. Died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. Was raised so that we can have joy and satisfaction in this life. Even as we anticipate having the fullness of it in the life to come. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we bless you uh, for your word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And uh, we pray that you would write this word on our hearts and encourage us with it, that we might uh, go forth and live authentically in the week to come in your presence uh, for our joy and the joy of others, for our satisfaction, the satisfaction of others, and ultimately for your honor and glory. Praying in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.